I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis 19. And we're going to, go, we're going to look at chapter 19 for the next two weeks because there's a lot here. And this week, we are going to focus more on the men of Sodom, the people who dwelled in Sodom. And then next week, we'll uh, broaden our focus a little bit to cover more of Lot and his family and draw some lessons from that as well. And I'm telling you this now because as we read the passage, there's going to be a lot of questions maybe in your mind uh, about certain things and things that... uh, are intriguing about the circumstances that we find in this passage as well as some of the individuals mentioned here. And if I don't deal with something today, uh, hopefully I will bring it out next week. Uh, We're going to read the first 25 verses this morning, and uh, we need to remember, just to put things in context, that back in chapter 18, Abraham received a visit from the Lord and two angels whom he entertained at his tent And now we learn about where the angels went once they left Abraham and Sarah there at the Oaks of Mamre. They're on their way to Sodom. And we pick up the reading in verse 1 of chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters and who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, 
And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lord. Behold, your servant has been favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities in all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. Well, we live in a culture that doesn't take sin seriously anymore. We ignore sin, minimize sin, laugh at sin, and sometimes even praise what God calls sin. We've fallen into the trap of thinking that sin isn't so bad after all. But God does take sin seriously. It's apparent in the text before us this morning. It is apparent from the table spread before us this morning. God takes sin so seriously that he punished Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the Jordan Valley. God takes sin so seriously that he himself became a man and suffered the punishment for our sin on the cross. And as we participate in the sacrament this morning, we remember that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he bore that punishment on the cross for us. Before we get to the sacrament, let's look at the text and draw some things out of it. In the book of Genesis, Sodom is mentioned 21 times. We've already encountered Sodom in chapter 13, 14, uh, some in chapter 18, and now here in chapter 19. The rest of the Bible, Old and New Testament, mentions Sodom 27 more times. And as 2 Peter 2 tells us, this episode with Sodom and Gomorrah is, quote, an example of of what is going to happen to the ungodly. An example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And that is how Sodom and Gomorrah uh, is, is used throughout the Bible from Genesis forward as an example. Christopher Wright says in his book, Sodom represents the way of the fallen world. It stands in Scripture as a proverbial prototype of human wickedness and of the judgment of God that ultimately falls on evildoers. So the judgment of God on Sodom and Gomorrah stands as a warning to us and as 
an example to us all. And no one likes to talk about these things. They're very sobering at least, and certainly downright scary when you start thinking about judgment. The writer of Hebrews says, The Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's very uncomfortable to think about falling into the hands of the living God. But bear with me this morning because I believe a deeper understanding of the devastating effects that sin has on people and of the devastating judgment that will fall on sin will lead us to a greater appreciation of what Jesus Christ accomplished as our Savior. Let me illustrate it this way. I know someone whose grandfather left her a large sum of money to be used for college and uh, for a car so that she could get to college. And at the time, she took it for granted. Uh, She was young and probably uh, not even old enough to understand what going to college was all about when her grandfather set that money aside for her. But as she got older and had kids of her own, and those kids went off to college and she received the bills for those kids being in college, she began to appreciate the depth and extent to which her grandfather had helped her. He saw the sacrifice that he made on her behalf, and she felt it. She knows it. And today, we want to come to a deeper appreciation for the sacrifice Jesus made for his people. As we understand the danger from which we are rescued and the cost of that rescue. First, let's look at the devastating effects of sin. We see it here uh, illustrated for us by the men of Sodom. First, we see here that sin is progressive. That's a lesson we can draw from these people. Sin is a downward spiral. Now, surely Sodom and the other cities of the Jordan Valley uh, were not always as wicked as what is described here. And we can look at other references that I've mentioned before uh, uh, that refer to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we can come to an understanding of the trajectory of their lives that brought them to this wicked state where two strangers come into town and all the men of the town want to rape them. That's horrible. How did they get to this place? Well, Ezekiel 16 mentions this as he compares God's people to Sodom and says, look, if you think Sodom is going to get judged, well, you're worse than Sodom. And he, the prophets often spoke that way to the people. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty, and did an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. Surely the abomination refers to the actions that we have here in Genesis 19. But you can see there uh, a bit of the trajectory of their lives. It started off with excess of food, prosperous ease, then led to pride, and then ultimately to oppressing those who were poor and needy. 
and then just oppressing anybody that came along. We know from chapter 13 that Lot chose to live near Sodom because, as it says there, he lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord. It was, it was a garden of Eden on earth, according to Lot's understanding of it. And there in Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the Jordan Valley, they lived the good life of prosperous ease. But as the saying goes, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Their thirst for pleasure uh, was indulged, but soon the pleasures that they enjoyed were not enough. And their, their thirst for lust for pleasure took a warped and sinister turn. They became oppressive to the weak in order to indulge their lusts, and they were certainly trying to oppress the two visitors in our text. God says several times in the text, in Genesis 18 and 19, that the outcry against Sodom has come to him, and that word outcry is a word for a cry for help. God hears the cries of the oppressed who had been victimized by the Sodomites, and he intervenes. See, these people in Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities were blessed by God. They lived in a beautiful place that was well apportioned, but they did not use their gifts for the benefit of those in need. They used them to indulge the flesh, and this led them on the downward spiral of sin. And that's what Paul is talking about and probably has in mind as he writes in Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Surely God showed it to them by giving them such a beautiful place to live. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. We could read on. It talks about the downward spiral of sin that is experienced by all those who push the truth away and who uh, shout out, the knowledge of God that comes to us from creation. That's what happened to the people of Sodom and how they came to be in the position that they're here in in chapter 19. And it's a lesson for us. When we indulge in sin, we think it's no big deal. We have to understand that the trajectory of sin is always down. It's always a downward spiral. It takes us deeper and deeper into darkness. That's what happened to the people of Sodom. People who indulge in sin wind up in places they never dreamed or thought they would end up. Well, second of all, sin is not only progressive, but it is infectious. You'll notice in verse 4, what a, what a terrible verse. 
it tells us that sodomy was on the mind, as, I, as it says here, quote, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man. Absolutely every person, every man in that city. No one excluded. It was comprehensive. Every last man was infected by this same wicked, sinful tendency. Surely it had not always been this way in Sodom. Another old saying is, bad company corrupts good morals. Whatever sin is being indulged in here came from a source. It rubbed off on all of them until they all reached the level of corruption you see here in chapter 19. And that's a lesson to us as well. Be careful with whom you associate. It's a very short journey from being an observer of sin to being a participant in sin. And that's exactly what's happened here with the men of Sodom. Sin is infectious, but it's also intolerant. Sinners in the grip of sin hate to be judged. You know, see it in our world today. The most quoted verse in our, in our media used to be John 3.16. People used to hold it up at football games. Now it's judge not lest you be judged. Nobody wants to be judged. They want to do what they want to do. And that's exactly the attitude of the men of Sodom. Lot tries to inter intervene on the behalf of the visitors when the men surround the house and, and demand that these two fellows come out. Verse 9 it says, But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. See, sin is an intolerant master. It will brook no rivals. Once it takes over, it will not even allow reason to guide you. How often have you seen people in the grip of an addiction destroying their lives, and you wonder, why are they acting so irrational? Why can they not see what they're doing to themselves, to their families, the danger in which they're placing themselves? Why are they persistently taking this stupid, self-destructive path? What's the power of sin, my friends? It blinds us. And we think we can handle just a little bit of it. And then before you know it, we are blinded by it and even consumed by it. It's very dangerous. Sin is not only intolerant, it is persistent. People in the grip of sin are not easily deterred. Verse 10, but the men reached out, the angels reached out and they brought Lot back into the house with them and shut the door and they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. What a sad commentary that is. They have been struck blind, and yet they still are trying to get in the house. You would think they would turn and run and flee, but they are so consumed by their lust and their sin that they are wearing themselves out, groping for the door. Well, we may not all be as wicked as these sodomites were. But we all can identify, hopefully, 
anyone who has wrestled with their own sin, we can all uh, understand how difficult it is to stop a pet, cherished, sinful behavior in which we engage. Sin is a real problem. And we must be aware that not taking it seriously is extremely dangerous to us as individuals and to our society as we see any time we turn the news on. Well, sin has devastating effects and it's highly offensive and offensive to God and none of us are immune from it. We're all sinners and we would like to say that we would never be like those people. That always sends chills up my spine. Especially when I used to do youth work, occasionally some teenager would fall into some sin, very public sin, maybe uh, maybe someone gets pregnant out of wedlock or maybe someone gets to a, some addictive behavior and you have a, a young person say, looking at that person say, I would never do that. And I would just always say, now, wait a minute, and, you know, don't say that because I've seen it happen where someone said, I would never do that. I would never get pregnant like she did and then not a year later. They were doing, they had done the same thing. All of us, all of us have the seeds of sin within our heart. If they're watered and encouraged to grow, they will. It's like, it's like your garden. You don't have to do anything to it to make weeds grow there. You just leave it alone and they'll grow. So all of us have the weeds of sin in our hearts. And if we neglect our hearts, that that weed will grow and take over, just like it did to the people of Sodom. Well, the devastating judgment on sin. Uh, Verse 24 tells us that the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities, and all the valley, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and even what grew on the ground. It became, as it is described in the prophets throughout the Old Testament, an uninhabitable wasteland. God leveled the place, and no one could live there anymore. And Peter, as we read earlier, tells us that this is an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. A very sobering thought. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, I've given it to you there in your outline. The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And Jesus himself said, Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Have you taken care of your soul? Are you ready for that day? Or do you wink at sin, play around with it, indulge in it? There's going to come an unexpected day when all of us will have to answer for our deeds. The day of judgment. Well, finally, there's good news in this. That's a very sobering thought. But this devastating judgment that falls on sin has fallen on a Savior. 
We see here that Lot is rescued out of Sodom, and he is rescued through two things, intercession and divine intervention. In Genesis 19.29, we see that uh, Moses sums it all up by saying, So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. In Genesis 18, uh, Abraham prays for the city. He talks to God about it and says, if there's 40 people there, if there's 30, if there's 20, if there's 10, will you please save the city? And certainly he had Lot and his family in mind. He stops at 10. There's only four that actually go out. Six, if you count the sons-in-law who thought Lot was jesting. But God tells us that it was because Abraham interceded for him that he was saved. But more directly, we see that the results of that intercession was that God himself intervened. Look at verse 15. I think this is tremendous. Stupid Lot. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. I mean, Lot was lingering it was, it was apparent that Lot was hesitant to leave his life in Sodom. He moved there, at least on the outskirts, because it was such a beautiful place to live, and, and now we find him living there in the city. He's willing to, to put up with all that goes on there because he loves it so much. Lot and his daughters are almost raped by a mob, and still they want to remain. It's the blinding effects of sin that Lot's enduring. But God is merciful. The angels grab them by the hand and take them physically out of the city. And then says, get out of here, run, flee from the wrath that's to come. We don't want to be like Lot in that we have trouble leaving sin and linger but God is still merciful. John 6.44 says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That word draws is not the word for woo, you know, like we would woo someone. It's literally the word, the word means to pull or drag. It can mean draw as well, but it's more like drawing water from a well. You know, if you draw water from a well, you don't look down in the well and say, water, please come up here. You know, come on up, please. Join me. <laughs> no, you put the bucket down there and you pull the rope until the water, until you pull the water to you. That's the word. That's used, And that's a picture of what God did to Lot. Literally, drug him out of the city, pulled him out of the city by the hand. It's a picture of salvation. And we love sin. And unless the Spirit opens our eyes and erases our blindness and changes our hearts, we will linger in sin. 
We must have God intervene for us. This episode with Sodom and Gomorrah is an occasion where the Lord is pulling us to himself as we see this example of judgment and we think about our own lives. We may think, well, we don't want to leave off our sin, but without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Where can we get that holiness? Well, Jesus has intervened, and he intercedes for us. He has intervened. For our sake, he he was made to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, on the cross, Jesus endured God's judgment for sin, God's wrath being poured out on him for our sin. Paul said he boasts in the cross of Christ, the cross of the one who loved me and gave himself for me. For all those who turn from sin and embrace Christ in faith, they can say the same thing. That judgment fell on Christ, not on me. See, as we understand that, we understand the depth of what Christ has done for us, it gives us a greater and deeper appreciation of what he endured there on the cross. Yes, he suffered physically, and I've said this many times. He he endured the beatings and the torture. The physical nature of the crucifixion was horrific, but he suffered in his soul. Enduring abandonment from God, enduring everything that is hell on the cross. We just said in the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell. He didn't literally go down to a place in hell, but he endured hell on the cross. He endured the wrath due to our sins there on the cross, and that's why he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that we would never be. He was abandoned by God, his Father, so that we would never be abandoned by him. So once you leave off sin and flee from the wrath to come and come to Christ, let's pray together.